Garbage is Served is a not-safe-for-work podcast addressing controversial topics in the U.S., like baby boomer fragility and abstinence-only education that are guaranteed to ruin your family dinners. Each episode focuses on some of your family's regrettable misconceptions that your hosts, Jesse and Keeley, take to task. Jesse. I love that every episode starts with you sing-songing my name <laughs> and me sing-songing your name. Well, it's good to fucking see you, Jesse. How are you? I've been watching 9-11 content all morning. I actually fell asleep watching Loose Change, um, and then I've been listening to some podcasts because today is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I feel like I have more feelings about this than what I anticipated, which is a stupid thing to do. I think it's hard because at this point, we've lived through so many life-changing events this was probably the first one that we were old enough to like understand on some level at this point we're so saturated I have two things in response to that statement one I totally agree with you but I remember having a conversation with a big group of friends once about those like formative breaking news things that happened in our childhood for me it's the OJ Chase Princess Diana and 9-11 okay you forgot Bill Clinton though oh I did and I do remember that (laughs) you're right And then the second point that I wanted to make is that we just, in the past month, I don't know when it was because this month, well, August and September. And what month is it? (laughs) I know. What date is it? We've already covered that. We just withdrew troops from Afghanistan. So I feel like that puts a different, not tone, but it's just more data to consider as we approach 9-11 conspiracies. Not really. The conspiracy theories really aren't about Afghanistan. The conspiracy theories really aren't about anything, but that's what (laughs) they're conspiracy theories. With that said, so there are a few things that I definitely want to cover in this very informative episode because we are (laughs) so good at this. It's very academic. It's very academic. We are 9-11 researchers. This is what we do for a living and we're professional podcasters. So everyone eat a dick. I'm also actually an engineer. (laughs) I told somebody I was an engineer last night. I don't know why. What I wanted to ask you, though, was what is your memory of September 11th, 2001? Where were you? What was happening? What are the pieces of those first moments? So it's kind of hazy to me at this point, exactly like the the true timeline of events as they happened for me, because I think I've read so much about it since then. But the snapshots that I remember from that day, I was in some classroom. I don't know if it was gym or what it was early-ish in the morning, and my group of students were brought to Mrs. Ray's classroom. She was our social studies teacher and she was a really tough teacher and a really straight shooter. Of the few teachers who've made me cry in my life, she was one of them, but she was also really awesome. And she was just like the stern woman, but I remember her bringing us into her classroom and her being so shaken after the first plane hit the World Trade Center and her trying to explain what the World Trade Center was. And then the second plane hit and the tone of what she was saying changed because it went from like maybe an accident to a terrorist attack. And at the time, it didn't hit home for me. I don't think it really became serious to me until I was home with my mom and my mom was shaken. And up to that point, she really hadn't been someone who would talk news at length with her kids. And so she was really affected by it. And that's when it seemed really serious to me. So while you were in school, teachers that were actually talking about what happened, like they were informing you throughout the day of the events. I can't speak for everyone at my school, but Mrs. Ray certainly was trying to inform us. 
remember the really old TV in the corner of the room that you probably couldn't see today. You know, I mean, just really tiny and boxy. We were watching it happen there when the second plane hit. Did you get pulled out of school that day or did you go through the entire school day? I believe that we left school early. I thought about calling my mom and seeing what her memory was about this, but I feel like we did end school early, even though we grew up in Missouri, really small town. And I feel like part of the messaging from parents and teachers to students was like, hey, we're in the middle of the country. There's nothing here for terrorists to come and get us for. Like no one's going to um, attack my little town. But I do still think we left school early. There's a really wide array of responses that happened. Big agree. Almost as wide as COVID responses. So what about you, Jesse? What do you recall from your 9-11 experience? So I was in eighth grade at the time and my I was in first period, which was communication studies, which was like a new class that my junior high was offering. And this is one of those memories where I'm like, this is how I remember it. And I can like visualize it in hmm. my brain, but it seems like too fucking weird to be true. But we were studying news broadcasts oh, and right. my teacher meant to tape the news the night before. And so she was going to play that tape, but like something happened with the tape. And so she put on the live news. I remember nobody really knew what was going on. So my school made everybody turn off the TVs. They wouldn't tell us anything about what was happening. Wow. Kids were getting pulled left and right out of school. My mom worked at the library at my school. So I was there all day, but we like really had no idea what was happening. And I was one of the few people who actually got some information before they shut everything down. And I remember being like so confused, but it is interesting because living, you know, I was 20, 30 miles Southwest of downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. So like in a bigger metropolitan area, but like certainly not close enough to anything important where anyone would give a shit. But people were really fucking scared and they were like, they're going to come to Chicago next. And I remember that was a thing. And I also remember going to my friend's house either later that day or the next day, like sometime early that week, her neighbor put out this giant American flag that was like literally Mm. like the size of the front of their house. And it was kind of sweeping the ground in the wind. And I remember just being like in awe. That's so fucking cool. Because I had no critical thinking skills at this point. Do you feel like any of your memories have been changed over time or influence is a better word over time based on how we've been inundated with 9-11 information since then? I remember that one of my teachers in eighth grade made us write a journal entry and she was like, Hmm. you're going to want to remember how you feel on this day. And in my head as a child, I was like, shit, I'm going to do this every year. I think I did it like the next year and then never did it again. (laughs) Still, you did. You maintained it for a whole year. I think that's a little bit impressive for a 13 year old. Two whole journal entries. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember linking together because after that, my dad lost his job. That all tied to September 11th in my head because it was like Mm -hmm. September 11th, war, the economy. No, I really want to talk to people who are older to see how my experience matches up. My memory of last week is iffy. So I'm sure 20 years ago, it's de- it's definitely it's suspect. crystal clear. Yeah, I would like to find some someone to corroborate my thoughts. Well, it's a hoax, so there's nobody who's going to be able to do that for me. 
you. Okay, really quick question before we do talk about the hoaxes. Maybe there's two questions, but the real one I have, Jesse, is how do you feel about 9-11 today? Um, wow, what a question <laughs> you have asked me. Um, I did. You don't, you don't have to answer, but... I mean, I'm going to. I guess I don't feel great about it. Uh, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I really, that was a maybe a leading question. I've been thinking about how I feel about 9-11, and I put that question on you, so sorry about that. I feel so good. I feel like following 9-11, America was in a war in the Mideast for 20 years. For me, pretty soon after, that's not true, five to 10 years after 9-11, while we were in this war, I started really asking myself, what about the lives that are continuing to be lost? from US service people and particularly civilians that live in that part of the world. But it was really overshadowed by the ongoing, like not human rights violations, but like the ongoing death. I kind of, not again, not that I forgot about what happened on the day, but reading about these conspiracy theories also made me read about the lived experiences and the deaths of the people who did die on 9-11. And it made it fresh for me again. I remember like having assemblies in high school for people who were killed overseas. My high school boyfriend, like his cousin, uh, lost his leg in Iraq. And so like there were actual physical casualties that we got to experience. And it definitely feels warped in my mind, but it is like this weird, sad, big thing. And what's funny is the wrong word, but (laughs) what's funny about the conspiracy theories, some of the theories like almost seek to address that discomfort that comes up, then just go so far off track that you're like the Fuck. I found myself having some sympathy for some conspiracy theorists <laughs> today, not because of what they believe, but I think I understand how they get onto the path of believing outlandish things. It's like they're trying to reconcile how bad things happen to good people, and it can't be the answer in front of them. It has there has to be some like evil in the world or some something intentional that's making these bad things happen. And so I kind of have a little bit of empathy. They also go way off the rails in a really dangerous way, so. So glad you brought this up because to tap into a theme we always bring up, uh, that really sounds like God and Jesus Christ and Satan. Like there are a lot of like Christian themes to that. Good versus evil, right? Mm -hmm. The eternal battle, man. Well, what was it that Bush said too? Like if you're not with us, you're against us. If you fool me once, shame on you. you (laughs) His exact quote. (laughs) Actually, when he found out about the September 11th attacks from his chief of staff, he said, suck my dick. <laughs> Mr. Carter, it was at his chief Mr. of staff. Is it, is it, suck my dick. <laughs> Before we get really, really into the conspiracy theories themselves, one of the Mm. things that I want to do to like better situate them was to provide the context of what like actually happened that day and to go over a bit of a timeline. One of the main conspiracy theories talks about like this building couldn't have collapsed at this time while like this conversation was happening. And so just to like clarify. I see all this work that you did for the timeline and I'm eagerly awaiting for you to highlight it. And I might jump in with a few facts of things that I know. but I might not either. Please do whatever feels good to you, my friend. All right, so we know that 
On September 11th of 2001, 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, Jesus fucking Christ. We're from the Midwest, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the Midwest. What do you want from us? <laughs> okay, so 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four planes. One crashed into the Pentagon, two into both of the World Trade Center towers, so one into each tower, and then one was crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. It struck me how young all of them were. Most of them were young 20-somethings. I think the oldest one was 33. And four of them were pilots, but the others weren't. They were just kind of like the heavies, you know, the... The muscle. The muscle. Thank you for that. One of the things that I kept asking myself was how do you mentally get there? Because I think it's really easy to be like, those extremists, they, like, a lot of the commentary after the attack happened was like, why do they hate us? And it's like, well, we're pretty hateable. And we're not accepting our own accountability and, like, the events that led up to this. Mm -hmm. So... At 7.59 a.m., American Airlines 11 takes off from Boston Logan Airport towards L.A. At 8.14 a.m., United Airlines 175 also takes off from Boston towards L.A. At 8.19 a.m., so 20 minutes after takeoff, the flight attendants on American Airlines 11, so the first one to take off, notify ground personnel that the flight has been hijacked. A minute later, at 8.20 a.m., American Airlines 77 takes off from Dulles Airport outside of Washington, D.C., so the it's like all within like the first 21 minutes. At 8.41, the final flight takes off. It's United Airlines 93. And that's from Newark Airport. One thing I found that was really interesting is that the flight was originally supposed to take off at 8 a.m. and was delayed. You know, I guess in some ways, one one could deduce that that could have been prevented. It's a questionable moment, right? I read an article once about a perspective of someone who was scheduled to be on one of these flights and he actually missed it. What a time to miss a flight. As two people without any flight anxiety, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to find a therapist in Kansas City and work on this immediately. <laughs> I am going to rewatch all of the Final Destination movies. Okay, so at 8.46 a.m., American Airlines 11, so that first plane, crashes into the North Tower, and it hits approximately at floors 93 to 99. At 9.03 a.m., United Airlines 175 crashes into South Tower 2, hits a little bit lower at about floors 75 to 85. A little after 9 a.m., so an hour in, two planes have crashed into the two World Trade Center towers. Meanwhile, the other two planes are still in the air. At 9.07 a.m., approximately, I've also read 9.05 a.m., Andrew Card, who is George Bush's chief of staff, so not Carter, but Card, not Mr. Card. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it. I forevermore redacted, or what's it called? Now it's canon. He's Mr. Carter. So good old Andrew notifies George W. Bush that a second plane hit the second tower because Georgie knew that the first tower had been hit. Everyone thought it was an accident at that point. They were like, well, that fucking sucks, which makes sense. I probably would have thought the same thing. He whispers into his ear. He says, a second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. And this happened at an elementary school in Sarasota, Florida. Pregnant silence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to share that specific quote because that is also a conspiracy theory that we could talk about later. Mm, okay. So at 9.07, a couple minutes after, two to four minutes after the second plane hits, our good old friend Georgie knows that something's happened and he continues to like read a book to some students because I don't actually know what you're supposed to do in that situation. But at 9.24 a.m., American Airlines 77, the passengers and crew notify friends and family that their flight has been hijacked. I was reading a transcript of a person, his name is like Tom Beam or something. Tom, I'm gonna mess up his name. Don't include it. I read <laughs> a story about an individual who was on this flight and 
And based on this one transcript that I read that still needs to be fact-checked by a guy named Tom, I think people knew on that plane what had happened at the Twin Towers. About 13 minutes later at 9.37 a.m., American Airlines 77 crashes into the west side of the Pentagon. And this was a fact that I didn't understand uh, until doing this research. I did not realize that there were about 125 people on the ground who were killed in addition to the people on the flight. You know, that fact also surprised me as well. I, for some reason, thought that they would have evacuated the Pentagon and like major buildings, right? After the Twin Towers fell. In all reality, this is an hour and 20 minutes. We're talking about an hour and a half. It's not Mm -hmm. that long. Conspiracy theorists fall into this trap called the myth of competence. They expect that people in power know what they're doing and like people at NORAD or air traffic control have their shit together and would be able to respond accurately and efficiently. And that's just not how humans work oftentimes in general, but especially under pressure. So about 22 minutes after that at 9.59 a.m., the South Tower collapses. So North Tower is Tower 1. It is hit first. South Tower is Tower 2. It is hit second. The South Tower falls first. And that was the one where the plane hit it more in the middle of the building instead of higher up. Right. At 10.07 a.m., so less than 10 minutes later, United Airlines 93 passengers and crew reportedly fight the hijackers. We have really no idea what happened on that plane, but the plane ends up crashing into a field in Pennsylvania. There are a lot of conspiracies around what happened with this plane, but that is the information we have. But we definitely know it crashed in a field, I think outside Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It didn't land at an airport. Also, these planes existed. At 10.28 a.m., North Tower collapses. So I guess the North Tower had almost two hours between when it was hit and when it collapsed, which again, is not very much time at all. At 10.50 a.m., part of the Pentagon collapses too. I think there's about like five floors. There was also the Seven World Trade Center that collapses much later in the day. And there's a lot of conspiracies around that at about 5.20 p.m. I mean, those are giant buildings to come down. Debris from those buildings, I'm sure, affected so many buildings next to it. They didn't finish removing debris until about 2002. There's a big push for recovery effort. Even before the buildings fell, a lot of firefighters, first responders Mm -hmm. were sent to the towers. A lot of them were killed. That's horrifying knowing how many thousands of people worked in those buildings and were in that area. In my grad program, we had to do a project on 9-11 and the whole purpose was to look at how systems break down and how communication between New York firefighters, police, and other first responders, because it was so chaotic, how those systems in place just didn't work. So you would have first responders go to floors, get shut in, not be able to communicate with other people. They're just, systems just failed. Very scary. This is going to be really fucked up, but it's just like, it was a lost cause. It killed a lot more people than it had to. Uh, On September 12th, the day later, Bush apparently declares war in some way. The enemy is the terrorists. On September 14th, so three days after the attacks, the authorization for use of military force against terrorists was passed by the United States Congress. And this essentially authorized the U.S. Armed Forces uh, against, quote, those responsible for the attacks on September 11th, 2001, and any additional, quote, associated forces. The authorization granted the president the authority to use all, more quotes, necessary and appropriate force against those whom he deemed planned, authorized, committed, or aided the September 11th attacks or who harbored said persons or groups. I'm sorry I read that verbatim, but it's like a quote of a quote, so fuck you. (laughs) I'm glad you did. (laughs) This piece I completely fucking forgot about. In September and October, 
October, the anthrax attacks. And that was a big thing. I remember being nervous about that, which is ridiculous. You couldn't open your mail. <laughs> it's coming to our doorsteps, the terrorists. They're sending us anthrax. Who the fuck knows what that was about? Yeah. I did not do any more research. October 7th, the war on Afghanistan begins. During October, Bush's approval rating increases to like 86%. So people are like, let's go to war. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Bush. On October 26th, the Patriot Act is passed, and this allows federal government to surveil anyone who they consider, like, quote-unquote suspicious. In January of 2002, Guantanamo Bay is opened, and this is right outside of Cuba, and basically allows so many human rights violations that happen. It is still open. (laughs) In October of that same year, so 2002, the Iraq Resolution is passed, I guess, and it authorizes military action against Iraq because of Saddam Hussein. In November, the CIA begins drone strikes in Yemen and Saudi Arabia, so we're just like all over the fucking page now. Killing a lot of civilians. Killing a lot of people, yep. In February of 2003, that's when Colin Powell makes a statement, and I I remember this, that Saddam Hussein is trying to produce nuclear weapons. Thanks, Colin. And then in March, so a month later, the U.S. invades Iraq. In June of 2004, the U.S. begins drone strikes in Pakistan. Somewhere in 2005 to 2009, the infamous documentary Loose Change is released. Version 1. But what I thought was interesting is the producer of the film, Corey Rowe, served tours in both Iraq and Afghanistan. It's true. I was listening or reading a little bit about the director, Dylan. Is that his name? Maybe. Probably. Dylan Avery. Sounds like a Dylan. (laughs) Right? Dylan, Corey. It all makes sense. Fucking Corey. Before they made Loose Change, before it was published, I found a little tidbit that in 2002, Avery, when he was 18, he wanted to create a fictional theatrical film about a group of friends who decided discovered that the attacks on 9-11 were part of a government conspiracy. This was reported by Esquire, so citation needed, but that was before it was originally published. It's so interesting because the Associated Press did interview Mr. Corey Rowe about <laughs> loose change this year, and he was all mm. like, I still question 9-11, but these fucking conspiracy theories have gotten out of control. We should question our government. In December 2007 is when the U.S. begins withdrawing troops from Iraq. This is not completed until 2011, so this takes several years. In 2009, the Obama administration kind of stops using the phrase war on terror, perhaps to differentiate themselves, but here we are. Oh, fuck, I forgot. After the U.S. invades Iraq, the U.S. captures Saddam Hussein. Then in May of 2011, Osama bin Laden, bin Laden, God, my accent, he is captured and killed. Years and years go by. I mean, 2020, drone strikes are still happening, and literally two weeks ago, so at the very end of August of this year that we withdrew from Afghanistan. That's my timeline. Go team. So do you believe all of those things happened? I'm so glad you asked that. I do. Do you? You know what? I do too, but there are people out there who don't. Tell me more. One of the common conspiracy theories, it's just the broad theory that the U.S. government orchestrated this event. Either Bush made it happen or he let it happen, but either way, the U.S. government is responsible. This goes back to the whole myth of competence. I just don't believe believe that I don't have enough faith in our government or any of those actors that they could pull that off. No, let's fucking dig into this because we both watched Loose Change this morning and I have so many feelings about this topic because this is like the leading conspiracy theory. This is what the whole fucking documentary is about. And a lot of it Mm -hmm. is just like a missile hit the 
a Pentagon. There's not enough jet fuel. It can't melt steel. <laughs> Where is the plane? One thing I, I heard on a fucking podcast was just like, well, all the Jews were told not to come into work that day. You're just being super anti-Semitic. It's so uncomfortable to hear this shit. It is very uncomfortable. Everyone is suddenly an armchair expert. I'm like, well, now I know about architecture. I know how physics works. Here's free fall speed. I demolish buildings for a living, so I know. Nope. It's weird how conspiracy theorists learn one random fact that doesn't match up perfectly, and then they think that everything is disproven. Like, the world is messy. There are going to be loose ends in anything as complex as this, and those loose ends don't mean that your wild conspiracy theory is true. On that note, one of the things that happens in the documentary Loose Change, basically they're pointing out there were drills happening around the area, like any defense mm -hmm. mechanisms that would have normally been in place were not in place that day. And so for that reason, this whole thing was orchestrated. But like, where's the data for every other day of the week? Is this like normal? Mm -hmm. Because I have no fucking clue. You've given me one day's worth of information. Right. I was reading, and I don't know if it was from NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, but that's who everyone expected to deploy jets to go take down these airliners with civilians in them. And they didn't react. And I feel like I read that they did eventually deploy jets, but the last policy that they had in place for this was from the Cold War era. And so the jets were actually going east into the Atlantic because they thought it was like a Russian thing. <laughs> we just weren't prepared and people didn't anticipate it. And that's why chaos ensued. Hindsight. Okay, so we know yeah. we know how this ends. However, you know that two planes have been hijacked. You think maybe two more have been hijacked. You don't necessarily know where they're going, what's going to happen with them. Because the transponders were shut off, right? So those planes were, you couldn't see them in the sky. Right, so then you go ahead and kill all of those civilians yourself, then you are culpable. What is the right decision in that situation? A lot of things happened quickly. Even if it doesn't seem that quickly, they happened really quickly. And people were charged with making decisions that they weren't prepared to make. And I do understand the frustration with the American government and our colonial tactics of getting oil, etc. Like we can put blame on the US government for that and also realize that they did not orchestrate 9-11. The US is an exploitative government invading other countries countries to colonize them and take their resources like is hundreds of years old. That's not new. You don't need an event to do that. Right. It was already happening. Well, this is kind of out of order, Jesse, but can we talk about the individual element of this conspiracy that people lean to, like to support that the US government orchestrated the attacks, like the steel, how the buildings fell. Is now a good time to talk about those things? Yes. I just want to circle back to say that you yes, said yes, that yes. we're cute and that's really the point of this episode. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We're, We're so cute. cute. <laughs> Do you know what's not cute? Terrorism. I was going to go with 9-11 conspiracies, <laughs> but they connect somehow. So some of the big claims that people use to support the idea that the United States government was behind 9-11 attacks was that these jets from the United States military or NORAD, however you want to define our military structure that I know almost zero about, we didn't respond quickly enough. We've talked about about why people were panicking and didn't understand what was happening and couldn't find the planes in the sky. Why that chaos led to our jets not being deployed. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So then the other element of questionable occurrence that people, that conspiracy theorists lean on is the fact that steel doesn't melt at the level of the temperature of the explosion that happened in the Twin Towers, the explosions that happened. So how did those big center core structures of steel and these giant buildings, how did those collapse? because the jet fuel wouldn't have melted them. I really enjoy this conspiracy.
conspiracy theory for a number of reasons. Enjoy is the incorrect word. First of all, I have no idea at what temperature fucking jet fuel burns or at what temperature steel melts. However, I do know that if I had this can in my hand right now and I jammed my phone into it a bunch of times... That it would compromise the integrity of the can. Right. 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 And so regardless of if any of this is on fire, you have compromised the structure by jamming shit into it. Well, jamming shit into it. Yes, absolutely. And then fire did ensue. And even if steel doesn't melt at that temperature, you're absolutely right. It's severely compromised. And those buildings are built to withstand high winds, fires at different places, but not fires of this magnitude. And it makes a lot of sense to me that if these buildings were jammed with airplanes and fire for however long that that would affect the structural integrity. The next bit of this conspiracy theory that's kind of related to the steel is that people seem to be surprised that the buildings didn't fall over like a tree in the forest, (laughs) that they fell down in their footprint. I think that this is where all of the like controlled demolition conspiracies come in because everyone's like, well, it fell like it fell straight down and at free fall speeds, thus it had to have been exploded. I think what I read from a couple of sources, mainly popular mechanics, <laughs> um, is that gravity happens. And so <laughs> it doesn't pull things to the side. It tends to pull things straight down to the earth. And so the Twin Towers, as well as Building 7, that's why those fell, why they kind of pancaked. Why wouldn't something free falling fall at free fall speeds? 9.8 meters per second squared. You got it. I love that. For some reason, that's like the one science <laughs> fact that I carried along with me. And I'm so glad that you have it too. <laughs> And I feel the same way about Building 7. It's a little bit of an outlier. It's interesting to read some of the conspiracies around that because they're like, it was definitely demolished because they said that it fell because of fires. But what about the other buildings in the area? The idea that things happen for a reason really yep. frustrates me. A bunch of debris falling nearby. I don't know where the winds were shifting that day. I'm surprised more buildings didn't fall down, honestly. We don't know where like first responders could have put out fires. Like There are just so many variables. The idea that the only way that this could have happened is if it was planned just seems so absurd to me. I think they found that at least 10 of those floors had been on fire all day and they just collapsed again straight down. So there was this other thing that people keep talking about and I don't want to spend much time on it because I don't know what any of these spend things are. all of the time on it. I will <laughs> always encourage you to minutes. lean in. <laughs> I'm going to talk about nanothermites. <laughs> Basically, the idea is that conspiracy theorists feel like they have found dust of explosive material. But it, when like demolition experts and scientists looked at it, it's not explosive. It's just iron dust. <laughs> and if it was this thing that, if it was this nanothermite that these conspiracy theorists were talking about, that's actually not a demolition material. It's a pyrotechnic. You have to get a lot of explosives into a building to do that. How would you do that without anybody noticing? The lack of um, integration with like how capitalism works just strikes Mm -hmm. me as so interesting. So many people in a concerted effort to make this actually happen and for it to be a secret doesn't check out. And if there is one thing that I know from watching true crime, it's that if there's that many people involved, I mean, unless they're dead, like someone's gonna talk eventually. They always do. What if those people who put the explosives were actually on one of the flights 
and so their plane didn't crash. They were just put on there to get rid of them. I feel like they did that in Sherlock. Let's create a new conspiracy. Yeah, the people okay. who put the explosives in the building were mm-hmm. quote unquote on the plane so that they were killed, but they're actually yep. alive somewhere. Oh no, I'm saying that they couldn't know and tell the secret, so they were killed. Okay, but the planes didn't happen as part of the conspiracy. Well, not in my conspiracy. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about the Pentagon for a moment. Yeah. Because I feel like it's the one that at least I thought about the least. It wasn't the showstopper. The two big claims that I read about. One, that if a plane did crash there, there should be more plane debris. And even though there has been plenty of plane debris found at the Pentagon, conspiracy theorists don't feel like it's enough. So there's that. Two, I think it hit the west side of the building, right? And so we've all seen that image. The building's kind of caving in on that side and that's where the plane entered. There's this famous photo of a side of the Pentagon. I think it's on the interior side of this big circle in the wall. (laughs) Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Okay, and conspiracy theorists are like, it's not even plane size. Like, how did that happen? That's like, it must have been a bomb. Like the plane would have cut through and like like in an old cartoon made a perfect plane shape. Yeah, and it's also a really small hole. I... I'm saying hole a lot and it's kind of distracting. (laughs) But the point is whenever something that fast and that big hits a building, there's going to be perhaps, maybe not always, but it's plausible that different bits of the building in different areas would be affected. And so this big hole is just where some part of the plane slammed through a different side of the building. Big object going fast, hitting another object, it's going to spread out. And so people keep looking at this hole in the wall saying that's not where the plane went because it's not the famous one where you see all the building falling down, but it's just where part of the plane or something went through the wall. I don't know, like, what is the threshold for, like, enough debris that would satisfy anyone? Probably there is never enough. I want to hear more about this back to the future conspiracy theory. Originally, whenever we approached this episode, I think I was tasked with looking at some of the most ridiculous conspiracies. I found two fun ones. One was about back to the future. People think that back to the future predicted the attack. I'm not a back to the future big fan. Are you, Jesse? No. Okay, I've seen the movies, but I don't remember the correct titles for each of the movies because they're all basically the same. I only remember Biff. And I remember that Marty McFly, like his mom wanted to get it on with him. I think it was his grandma. He like wants to fuck his grandma or something. Oh, weird. Anyways, September 11th. (laughs) In the first Back to the Future movie, the clock reads 9.55 at one point. And that just is 9.11 with the hands pointing to 9.11. And then there's a different (laughs) scene. (laughs) where Marty McFly is like ambushed or not attacked, but people come to him at Twin Pines Mall parking lot. A shooting takes place. I mean, it has twin in its name. People link that to the Twin Towers. There's another clock in that twin scene where the clock says 1.16 a.m., which is 9.11. I don't know how that, how does that make sense? Oh, when you turn it upside down. (laughs) See, this makes me think I'm like, has there ever been a pair of twins that have called 911? one to talk about like a, to- a tower. I don't know. Like the- you could find meaning in anything sometimes. Similar to a Prince song. Apparently there was a recording of Prince at a live performance before 9-11, late 90s. And he sang, allegedly, I got to go back to America. I got to get ready for the bomb. Osama bin Laden, get ready to bomb. America, you better watch out. Did people not think that Osama bin Laden was like a person 
before. <laughs> he only exists in September. I believe that he was born in the 1950s and <laughs> had maybe been criticizing the government, the U.S. government, before this. And I think in popular culture, like The Simpsons, people draw on The Simpsons for having predicted, quote unquote, 9-11. So anyways, people look for meaning in anything and they don't want to believe what's in front of them because reality is sometimes scarier than we want it to be. There is another silly conspiracy that I found about the whispering in the air of Andrew <laughs> Card, Mr. Card, Mr. Carter to Prezi Bush in the time frame that Andrew Card whispered to him. He couldn't have said all of those words because those words take too long to say. That small thing, even if it's not true, doesn't change everything that happened immediately before or after that. It's just a loose end. Some loose change. <laughs> to kind of, I guess, wrap up the conspiracies. Please, yeah. There's like a whole 9-11 truth movement. Our favorite QAnon supporter, Marjorie Taylor Greene, has said some shit about 9-11 not being real. It's like now in the canon of like Holocaust deniers. Flat earthers. All of these people who believe the dumbest shit ever. You've probably taken ivermectin. They probably are taking ivermectin right now. So... Those are the conspiracy theories. I feel exhausted. Jesse, tell me how to ruin a family dinner. Here's my take. 9-11 conspiracy theories are bullshit. However, this type of thinking, that's not critical thinking, but like believing things that don't exist has contributed to the shit that we're dealing with right now. Well, now COVID's fake. Now election fraud is happening. And I'm like, well, if you want to have a fucking conversation about the electoral college, let's fucking have it. Your version of election fraud isn't real. And also, if you have such a problem with election fraud for the federal presidential election, like I feel like you would question elections at every level of government, right? How would you ruin a family dinner? Honestly, bringing up any of these topics or 9-11 in general, I think would ruin a family dinner. They're all heavy enough topics that, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about any of them with my family. (laughs) Capitalism, a conversation about capitalism would also ruin my family dinner. Maybe like someone in my family cooking would ruin a family dinner. (laughs) Dinner ruins family dinner. (laughs) Is that our thesis? Family ruins family dinner. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Okay, Keely, what are your recommendations? Okay, I think the only way to get better as a civilization is to have hard conversations, and I don't want to. So it is ru- <laughs> ruining family dinners is the solution. And to be more specific with my recommendations as it relates to the topic we're discussing today, it's making this like a difference between conspiracy theories and critically thinking and asking questions. You can question things and want to find answers while staying away from harmful conspiracy theories that aren't factually based. And I don't know how to quickly say how to do that other than learn about some experts and be okay to take some expert opinions. Yeah, I mean, except that you're not the expert of everything. Yay! What about you? Do you have any recommendations? There are conspiracies, quote unquote, that are real. And I think the first thing that always comes to mind for me is the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Oh, God, yeah. Our government is fucked up. It does fucked up things. And so, like, instead of focusing on these really far-fetched, conspiracy theories why these buildings fell it's like could we divert that energy towards shit that we can solve and we can prevent why are we stuck on whispers in the wind when we have the largest largest prison population in the world right i actually don't give a shit what andrew whispered to george i would like to stop mass incarceration well i think that's it (laughs) 